On this episode of The Playbook, I have Ann Hand, the chairman and CEO of Super League Gaming, and we're going to talk about the difference between working for an enterprise and working for a startup. Learn this all and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneurs The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host and CEO of Sports One Marketing, David Meltzer. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs the Playbook, and it is an eSport edition of the Playbook. I'm so excited to have one of the innovators, the CEO and chairman of Super League Gaming, right here in Santa Monica and Hand. And, and you are an ultra entrepreneur. And that's why I wanted to have this interview because so many people, Steve Jobs told me when I was in the Silicon Valley, he said, Dave, you cannot connect the dots forward. <laughs> and I connected the dots of how does someone end up, you know, the CEO and chairman of really the first public esports company. And while most people don't even know what esports is still, which we'll get involved with because I love to get your definition, sure, sure. but connecting the dots backwards, there is an extraordinary background. Just briefly, because I know you're very versatile, can you explain to the entrepreneurs out there how you end up in that great position that was made for you, really? Uh, where did you start? Yeah, sure. sure. So, you know, um, I kind of uh, exited university at a time where making it was getting a job with a big company. Um, and the only big company that wanted me was Mobile Oil. Um, now, I couldn't Google at the time what entry-level jobs at Mobile Oil meant. Um, so that's unfortunate because it meant that I was going to be running gas stations as my entry-level <laughs> job. Um, so I ran many gas stations and convenience stores and service bays in Philadelphia. I'm from the Midwest originally, but I kind of did the more traditional route. I worked my way up the ladder and, and finally broke through into executive ranks at other kind of large cap companies. And then I met some venture capitalists. And frankly, I think I was flattered. They said, hey, we're looking for tech CEOs. You seem to be somebody that while you have that very old school, large company training, you have kind of an entre entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and also my father was an entrepreneur, so I grew up in that type of a household. And because of all of those things, um, I took the leap. So I ran a clean tech startup in the Bay Area for about five years, and then I knew some of the investors at Super League. Super League was about four months old in stealth, and they needed a CEO. Um, I will be honest, my first reaction is I said no, and I said no several times over the course of about 60 days to the opportunity, not because I couldn't see that eSports was um, in the zeitgeist, that it was going to have um, a huge market potential, and timing is just about everything in early stage companies, but it took me some time to um, really understand why I could bring a unique skill set to a space that was very new to me. And so I had to kind of work through why I could um, be a creative to the, to the company. One of the interesting jumps, you know, in my early career, I worked for Thomson Reuters, huge company, Accenture, then into Samsung. Mm -hmm. um, but then becoming an entrepreneur myself, it was a, a shock. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that traditional, and I tell people to gather experience, et cetera, it's, so, it's such a comfort to work for a big company. When you made the move, not into esports, but to the startup for yep. five years, what was the number one challenge that you had? Oh, gosh, I don't think I can boil it down to just one. There are a few things that, um, as I reflect back, were kind of the dominant themes. I think 
the first one that was so humbling, you know, when I left BP, I had been running a $3 billion business unit with about 3,000 employees around the world. Um, all of a sudden, I was running a team of 12, and yet it was so hard. And I kept thinking, why is this hard? Why is everybody speaking different speak? What, how could it be? Even when I ran gas stations, I had hundreds of employees. And so what I had to keep reminding myself is, first of all, and you're trying to do something that's never been done before. So it's not like taking a, an existing business and trying to make it better, which is what you do in large companies. You know, you're really starting from scratch. The other thing I had to remind myself was um, there's no infrastructure around me. You know, if I needed to go find a new uh, CFO inside a big company, well, I knew loads of finance people. They were all sitting there as existing employees. Everything that you're doing inside a small company, you don't have an HR team. You don't have all of those um, fundamental kind of processes and tools to guide you. And then I think the other thing that is just the harsh reality of it is I value the time that I spent in large companies. I learned and built an amazing toolkit by getting to sit in different types of jobs and see things from different perspectives. But I never stayed up all night worrying about whether payroll was going to be made. And so that level of pressure when you're responsible for a team of people and you need to make sure that their families are cared for and was a, and that, that, that real-time pressure, it wasn't a quarterly or an annual pressure to make numbers, it was a day-to-day, week-to-week pressure. And that level of intensity of pressure, I had to um, figure out, frankly, how to deal with stress in a different way. I love that because I think that is the number one distinction. I call it employees and overhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're at a big company, it's about the numbers. But we don't think about all those little things and then we don't have the personal relationship. In fact, big companies will even hire someone to get rid of people so you don't have to worry about <laughs> one of the worst parts of having a startup, which is to fire people yes. or let them go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But without that experience, without that toolkit, you would not have been heavily pursued to be the chairman and CEO of the Super League gaming. Yeah. <laughs> I have to look at the initials all the time so I don't <laughs> screw that up. And but but meanwhile, I believe that, you know, this journey is about lessons. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it's it's interesting. When I left, um, I remember an exec recruiter when I um, was making the decision to go to the first startup. And um, doing that, that exec recruiter um, said to me, you know, Anne, if you do this on your CV, you're going to really confuse things, you know, to go from large company to small company. Um, I talked to that same exec recruiter when I jumped to esports, and that, then she kind of threw her hands up and said, "Okay, I'm kind of de- I don't even know how to make sense of energy, you know, all these <laughs> jumping around." And um, but I say all that because I was at a fork in the road when I left the last startup, and in my um, heart, I was saying, "You just spent five years developing this new set of skills, of learning this new layer of resiliency you didn't know you had." Like, you know, would that really be wasted if you just ran back to the security and safety of a large company? Because I could have still gone there. You know, I hadn't been out of the game that long. And so I made a conscious decision that, no, I want I want to give it one more swing. I want to use now this toolkit. And it, it is exciting to apply all the things you learned at the last startup in real time to say, hey, you know, last time I didn't let myself build up my executive team. You know, what you do, unfortunately, when you're the CEO and, and 
funds are so constrained. And, you know, you have these wonderful VCs backing you, but, you know, the joke is they only ever give you enough money to hang yourself. You know, you kind of <laughs> always have... That's not even a joke. <laughs> yeah. You kind of always have about eight months runway. And, and when you're... And it's, it's kind of unfortunate because you're supposed to be super innovative, but you can't be innovative when you only have eight months, eight months of payroll in the bank. Yeah. So you kind of never really do anything as boldly as you could. That's the odd thing. And strangely, in a large company, if you have the right... Um, seniority and credibility, you've got a massive amount of funds. You can get pretty crazy in yeah. there. Um, you can make a lot of mistakes too. Absolutely. And so I like one good lesson was in, in the previous startup, um, I would always, when we would get money in, I'd hire more junior staff because I knew that the team needed resources. And what I wouldn't do is surround myself with my executive teammates. And I did it differently here. With the board support, it was like, let's build the team ahead of the growth. Um, so there's all those fun real-time lessons now that we've applied at Super League. But I want to say with a giant bucket of humility dumped on my head, um, every now and then, you know, we've been at it four years. And I wake up sometimes in the morning and I think, how has it flown by so fast? Some things we have done way faster than I ever imagined. Other things, I'm like, why is that taking so long? You still have to learn to live with and sit with all of those frustrations that, you know, we still, we always knew we wanted to get here on the graph, but you go like this to get there. And your job as a CEO is just to try to contain how wide those guardrails are and squeeze, you know, the acceleration down. and growth out of it. Exactly. Now, I'm sure your parents have the same problem that mine do when people say, oh, what does Ann do? Right? <laughs> they can't explain. But moreover, as much as we're involved in esports, as much as we're excited yeah. about it, I'm still amazed that I'm with owners of traditional sports teams. And I'll mention that, you know, I'm an owner of a team and they'll ask me, what is esport? Yeah. I have a difficult time and I always ask anyone involved with it, how do you explain to your parents? Yeah what esports is and what you do. Yeah, it's actually the first time I've had a lot, a very varied career. I've had the good fortune to live around the world and do a lot of different jobs with different types of companies. It is the first time in my life that I have struggled to get my father to get it. So your question <laughs> is perfect. Um, so, you know, I start, and, and most of our investors are traditional sports owners. Uh, we also have a lot of strategic investors like Logitech, Viacom, Cinemark Theaters. We have fantastic brand partners. And so a lot of times I've felt like in the early days, being somebody from the outside coming in, um, that it was helpful that I could translate, right? So I could kind of try to break it down in language that maybe they could digest. You know, so we always start with, it's about competitive video gaming. We always start with the explanation that you've seen a lot of press on this. You know, you see your friends, traditional sports owners, buying teams. That's all about this professional level. There are 10 to 20,000 pro players, and people are buying up these teams and buying these franchise slots. Um, now, each one of these games is its own sport. So that's where it goes a little off for right. somebody who's new to it. It's like, wait, like, is Overwatch like, like golf? Yeah, think of it like it's its own sport, but there's hundreds of video games. You know, so that then it kind of is like kind of blows people's minds that it could in itself be its own Olympics. Right. And it could um, end. Like where golf, although it it's could. challenged right now, probably will never end. Yes. And and, <laughs> and you know, look, that's gonna be what, you know, Overwatch and League of Legends are trying to prove right now is by establishing a pro league, that's one of the strategies to make that game title live longer. 
Um, but then what I, I always find is the toughest part. So, you know, I say, okay, when I was growing up, um, I had the good fortune to take tennis lessons. I then went to tennis camp. And at some point I wanted to join a team. And, you know, thankfully my high school had one. And I knew I wasn't going to be Serena Williams, but I still wanted that experience. Tons of Division One athletes know they're never going to necessarily make it to the pro, but they still want to compete. Or Division so, Two or Division Three. That's right. <laughs> so people follow me with that logic that, hey, if you really are good at this game, maybe you would want to get out of your house, join a team, and play it in a different way. The one place where I lose them pretty consistently is on the notion that you would ever want to watch someone else video game. So people can get it that this is a place where people are spending their times increasingly. They get it that it's interactive entertainment versus passive, like the way I watched a lot of TV as a kid. They get it that they might want to join teams and compete. And then the place that it always, um, the, the biggest struggle is always around the notion that I watch golf on the weekend. I'll take free tickets to the Lakers if you want to give them to me. I watch sports that I don't necessarily play why on earth would somebody ever watch someone else video game? And that's always the biggest leap. And to be very candid, that was my biggest leap. That was what I had to overcome early on. And you really just need to go to an event. Right. You need to experience it just the same way you experience those other sports to see that it's playing out in a virtual environment in a way. Um, but there are players, there's personalities, there's teams to cheer for. Um, and it really is just as, as close as you can an analog to traditional sports. It is amazing because I was on the tram in Oakland going to the Cleveland Cavaliers, Golden State, seventh game with wow. my then six-year-old. And we were going by Oracle, you know, as you go from yep. the airport to go walk to the game. And my six-year-old said, oh, that's where the League of Legends championship is. That's right. And I said, what, what is, this is three years ago, what, yeah. what is that? And my camera guy is like, you don't know what eSports is? I said, no. He said, Dave, you're one of the leaders in sports. You don't know, I go, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. He said, well, more people are going to watch this championship yeah. than watch the NBA championship. And I said, that can't be true. I literally said, that can't be true. Yeah. He says, that arena is going to sell out. Yeah. I said, that can't be true. How could I not know about this? That's right. Right. And I then sat in meetings with owners of teams that were like, what are you talking about, Dave? And I did all my research and I went. Yep. And I said, oh my gosh, this is the biggest opportunity in sports I've ever seen. That's right. And from that day on, I went out and looked to see where I could invest, how I could invest. Um, where beyond, and I think yeah. the amateur level, I've seen, and you probably have seen this too, which is really going to help. I, I love the fact that AI is still a difficult problem with, with the gaming to me, because even if you're in a team sport, some of the games you're, you're competing against AI, and if you play enough, you can figure it out and become much better. But what happens when you know, we create games that have no AI? Right, so we, they already started with NBA 2K, that yeah. you have all five players are actually playing. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So there's no AI. That's where I think, you know, the, the Super League gaming gets really interesting as a team sport yeah. where like you have actual offense alignment blocking. Yeah. Right. And then you can really mess around. Um, where do you see the picks and axes? Because this is an entrepreneurial thing. And I really encourage people. Look, 
I, I've invested in a team, but I really, the biggest pursuit that I have is I've always been involved in coaching. So I want to own the Meltzer Academy and the Meltzer Academy is going to take the top 40 players in every game as the new games change. Yeah. And I'm going to have a coaching academy. So all those kids, and I learned this because my nine-year-old came in. I said, do you want Warren Moon to teach you to play quarterback this summer or CJ Anderson to teach you to play running back? And he said, no, dad, I need a Fortnite coach. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. I think I can do what I did in traditional sports and esports. Right. Where do you see the picks and acts opportunities? Yeah, it's a good question. In some ways, it's really why Super League even exists. What we saw early on was, as I mentioned earlier, there's those handful of, of pro players out there, but there's 2.6 billion gamers. And the majority- 2.6 billion, by the way. 2.6 billion. Wow. And, and again, the, the numbers don't lie, right? Um, and men, women, tall, short, yeah. handicapped, doesn't matter, right? Yeah, that's, they the, all that's another beautiful thing is um, gaming can be a level playing field. Um, it technically should be a gender neutral sport. Um, you know, physically challenged players with the right peripherals can play just as well as anyone else. So there's um, something really empowering, accessible about gaming. You know, you look at what parents have to pay for traditional sports, for youth sports these days, you know, a lot of these game titles are free. You can jump in and start Language playing Language agnostic it is another thing. Exactly. It's amazing. So there's a, a huge amount of empowerment that, that comes around gaming. And to your point, you know, 50% of power gamers are married, 30% are female. Gamers have higher uh, college graduation rates and higher average household incomes than traditional sports fans. So, so the numbers don't lie. In fact, um, Reed Hastings in his um, letter to investors earlier this year said his number one threat isn't other competitive streaming services, it's Fortnite. It's all the other places that people are spending their time and not spending it, spending it on Netflix. And, and what's happening to the entertainment kind of slices of, of, of where people are allocating their time, increasingly it's going towards gaming. The other thing that amazes me, it kind of goes to your cute story about your son, is is it's becoming increasingly multi-generational. You know, we're starting to see that we've got um, millennial parents, young millennial parents with their Gen Z children, and this is something they wanna do together, and it is a way to bond. Um, so when you talk about the picks and axes, we exist because we're really about the base of the pyramid. We think that everybody wants their tennis team. And what we also saw was that what do Gen Z and millennials value the most experiences? Um, in a strange way, it's the rebellion against <clears throat> the only uh, digital stay-at-home culture, right? And so we started bringing gamers together, structuring these leagues around them, and found that they were coming in for the competition. They were coming in as a different way to play. Number one thing every time they leave our events is I made friends tonight. Yeah, community. So this missing community, social connections, I often say, again, when I'm trying to get brands and investors to understand kind of the core of what we do, I say, think of us as a localmatch.com. And we have facilitated one marriage, so I'm proud of that. I figure there's that's a good cool. shot. We'll have a few more. But <laughs> Super marriage. That's right. But, but, it, but you know, we saw that first was they want this social connection. Um, then we just made an acquisition recently of a digital platform um, that celebrates the highlights of amateurs. So every day we get thousands of submitted amateur esports highlights. We pick the best ones of the day and we drive a lot of audience and community around amateurs celebrating amateurs. One thing that's funny about that's Paul gaming, Rabel's trick in lacrosse. Yeah, one, right? <laughs> one thing that's <laughs> funny about gaming is is that you know you're watching a great basketball moment, and you can say, "Well, that was Michael Jordan or LeBron," right? But sometimes you can be watching a great moment in a video game, and it really could just be the kid down the street. Yeah. Right. 
who isn't necessarily a pro yet. And so again, the empowerment that that gives to the everyday kid, the fact that a teenager just won you know, over $2 million playing Fortnite this past weekend. Who could have been the kid and down Arthur the street. And Arthur Ashe Stadium was sold out. Yeah. Again, on, the numbers don't I was lie. in New York uh, during that $30 million championship, yeah. and it was phenomenal. And I do love the fact that the emotional attachment that's missing. Yes. Uh, and, you know, the friend groups are so large. And I think this is true about branding and marketing. I tell people all the time, there's 4.2 billion people and growing every day that you can market to instead of just your, your city. Yes. And... Yet, too, your community is so much bigger that in some respects it, it brings us together, but it also separates us because what if we can't go play together sometimes? That's right. And I love watching my son when he has a friend that maybe lives two communities over. That's right. And somehow they meet in person and you see an extra level of emotional bond that occurs because they have a common interest. That's right. And in fact, my son's best friend he met on Fortnite uh-huh. and they now go to the jumpy place together and That's play great. baseball and they want to be on the same flag football team. So I think the best value of what you do bring is we need community in what is a segregated separate sport. Absolutely. And, and, and done a phenomenal job. And you know, we saw this early on, there was this lack of locality to gaming. And we started, we, we run a lot of, mostly our target market is kind of uh, 16 to 34 year olds, but we do run a youth league. And what we found early on was that because we gave kids a jersey to wear, um, we started having parents submit us the same things that I did um, as a kid. I would lay my uniform out on my bed the night before the match. So all that preamble of of kind of getting ready for the big game. Then what we also uh, were very surprised by was kind of the unintended consequence of giving the kids the jersey. We wanted them to have a sense of belonging. We wanted them for that day to fight for their city. Um, um, we wanted them to make friends. We wanted them to learn about teamwork. What we didn't think about is, is, you know, if you're a parent and you go to every one of your kids' little league practice matches and you're not the coach, you're kind of that overbearing parent. But heaven forbid the day your son puts his jersey on, you don't show up, you're a bad parent. So all of a sudden we had parents showing up at all of our events. And when I asked a mother very politely, hey, thanks for coming, you know, how nice of you to make it. She kind of looked at me offended and said, it's game day. Right. And so what we started to see was we started to get parents engaged in these games. And and that matters because you can't stand over your child's shoulder in their room and say, what's that? What are you doing? And it's too intrusive. Um, We gave parents a way to get engaged and start to love and celebrate these games. We give college scholarships out in our youth league. Um, We've just kind of, I think, in a way, changed the nature of the uh, dinner table conversation at night about esports. Absolutely. And what a phenomenal business. You have to check it out. Super League Gaming, a true entrepreneur, laterally moving over from traditional business, one of the biggest and most boring oil and gas because I was in it as well. Uh, So I congratulate you and keep on inspiring many more entrepreneurs to figure out how we can monetize. But also as a compassionate capitalist, I think you have come up with a solution that's truly bringing uh, the biggest fears and relieving those of most parents of how to create a community and truly get behind a sport. Thank you. You will be known kind of as the Pete Rosell, I have a feeling someday of esports. So thanks for coming on. Well, remember SLGG on NASDAQ. First pure esports play. And hand with Dave Meltzer, Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.
But I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.